The scripture reading this morning comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 10 and 14 through 17. <clears throat> so while we are always confident, even though we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk in faith, not by sight. Yes, we do have confidence, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For all of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may receive recompense for what has been done in the body, whether good or evil. For the love of Christ urges on, because we are convinced that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. The word of the Lord. And I told you today, we're going to draw back the curtain and let you see behind the scenes from a pastor's perspective. Uh, you'll probably never hear a message like this ever again in your life, because the only time a pastor can ever share it is on their last Sunday. Uh, or in my case, as an interim pastor, I can share it any time. I just waited for today for it so I can get out of here afterwards. No, I'm just kidding. It, it's, it's, we're going to have a lot of fun today, but I, I want you to see the videos that you just saw are kind of the, the polar extremes, but yet every pastor has a dream when they come to a church. Pastor Chris has a dream for what it will be like when she comes here and begins preaching and, and leading this church in two weeks. Um, the first video that you saw was the shepherd uh, out in front leading with vision and the sheep following and supporting that vision. And, and occasionally there's, there's a called, thing called vision drift, and that was those two sheep and, and the two board members, the furry four-legged board members came around and reminded them, hey, we're up here, we're going this direction, come on, join us. You know? And there was that supportive working together between the shepherd and the, and the sheepdogs. And if you notice, they weren't nipping, they weren't biting, they were just barking and encouraging and leading. Then the second one, unfortunately, is the, the picture of that church that is in crisis. The picture of the church that uh, it doesn't matter who the shepherd is, we're going to take them out and we're going to do our own thing. And the sheep run off and leave the shepherd laying on the, uh, on the roadside, injured, bleeding, and forever, forever damaged. The hurts that a pastor takes in ministry never go away. God brings healing and God takes, covers over the scars and brings healing, but that forever changes the life of a pastor. And um, the beauty of doing an interim relationship like this is I really don't have the opportunity, that's going to sound really weird, the beauty is I don't have the opportunity to get in and know you in depth enough to know the life of the church. So I can share what I'm going to say today knowing that it may or may not be the case here. Uh, the beauty of that is I'm not pointing any fingers at anybody, and actually I'm not pointing fingers at anybody anyway. I'm just giving you an inside glimpse as to when the church works right, what happens, when the church works wrong, what happens from a pastor's perspective. Now this comes from about 30 years of ministry, um, of the, the heartaches of ministry and the many joys and blessings of ministry. It also comes from quite a few years of counseling other pastors who have, who have come to me and said, I need somebody to talk to 
about the situation that I'm going through in my church. Can you help me through this? And so when we made the, the, the choice in our lives to come here and uh, move to Harrisburg, wow, over four years ago now, I believe it is, or right around four years, and uh, we made that, that choice to step out of the role as, as a pastor of a local church, uh, part of my ministry continuing forward is not just preaching, but also coaching and counseling pastors and, and, and helping in those roles and, and supporting and advising churches. And, and so I've been enjoying that, and honestly, I enjoy that as much, if not more, than what I do for my normal 9-to-5 job throughout the week as a financial advisor. It's really not a 9-to-5 job. But, um, but I will tell you this, that something strange happened to me when I stepped outside of pastoral ministry. Something very unique and very strange happened. Uh, we had been here just a few months, and, and I just started all of a sudden. I would, when I would go to get up off the ground or bend over and stand straight up, I would almost pass out. And, and this kept going and kept going and kept going and progressively getting worse. One day I jumped out of my truck to go to the gym, and I started walking across the parking lot, and I had nothing around me to grab a hold of. All I could do was bend over and put my hands on my knees to support myself. I almost passed out. I said, hmm, I think something's wrong. I need to go see a doctor. And I called my doctor, and I scheduled an appointment, and I went in and I said, I think I know what the problem is, but I need you to, to check me over anyway. And uh, I had been on blood, high blood pressure medication at a, a 20 milligram level for quite a few years. Uh, part of that is I'm on allergy medicine that raises my blood pressure, so I take the blood pressure medicine to lower the blood pressure from the allergy medicine that helps me breathe but raises the blood pressure, you know, the cycle that you get in sometimes. And uh, so I've been able over the years to cut that allergy medicine in half, but I've been at, sustained at this 20 milligram level on my blood pressure. And um, I said, I think my blood pressure is doing better and my, I'm just on too many meds. And she said, well, let's do this. Cut your pills in half for the next uh, six months, or six weeks, excuse me, and then we'll recheck you. Now, any physicians in the room? Okay. When you tell your patients cut your cut your pills in half, that is not an easy thing to do. I can't tell you how many pills I ruined by trying to cut them in half, but I got enough to get me through the next six weeks, and I came back at having taken 10 milligrams of this medication every day for the six weeks. I went in, she checked my blood pressure, 120 over 80, perfect. She said, you were on too much medication, your blood pressure tanked. What's changed in your life? <laughs> You know where I'm going with this. I said, I'm not pastoring anymore. I literally live a stress-free life right now. <laughs> and she said, that's it. That's it. Pastors carry a lot of stress. And I told you, I'm going to pull the curtain aside and just tell you how it is today. Pastors carry a lot of stress. Sometimes that is very, most of the time, that is very good stress. But sometimes it's, it's stress that they will never share with you because they can't. It's things they have to keep close to their heart. And they can only share with a few of their close colleagues. So recognize and Pastor Chris, when she comes here, she will be under stress because she has been as a pastor. It's just, it comes with the job. Um, one other thing before I get into this, this is all introduction. I haven't even started the message yet. One thing to understand, she's coming from an associate position to a senior pastoral position. It's a transition point in, in the life of a pastor because when you're the associate pastor, everybody loves you because the senior pastor is the one that's making all the hard choices. When you become a senior pastor, you wonder where all your friends went because you're making the hard choices. And I, I, I'm trying not to point out Joel over here, but he's just chuckling and laughing at this. There's a certain insight that preacher's kids have, you know, and, and Beth as well, that, that there's a certain insight that we have to life of ministry that, that we just can't 
can't really share as well. But I want to pull back the curtain today and let you see behind the scenes some things that you may not know about a pastor. So the, the idea is at the end of this short time together today, short time, it means nothing for a pastor. Um, at the end of this time together today, I want you to be able to see how to become the church that every pastor dreams about. And there may be something that I touch on that may hit home with you. And I'm going to ask you just to simply respond by saying to God, forgive me if forgiveness is needed. You may have to go to somebody else in the congregation and say, forgive me. And then say to God, I'm yours to move this church forward under this new leadership, this new chapter that we have unfolding in front of us. It's the same book, but it's a new chapter. And I will be excited to hear about the things that happen in the life of this church. And I will keep tabs on you. Rest assured, I will be keeping tabs on you because uh, I want to hear some of the great things and how, how you, together with Pastor Chris, will literally change this community. So let, let's get into this. I, I want to uh, help you understand, first of all, that a pastor is called of God. Now, I understand we have a process that we go through as a denomination to call a pastor. I don't particularly like it, and the reason I don't like it is because it parallels too closely the democratic process in our nation. And those of us that sit out here every, every week in the, in the pews have a hard time separating the two. There is a huge, distinct difference. Now, if you think about the process that you've gone through, you, you had a situation, your pastor resigned, the board then becomes, comes called into action. One of the things that a past, the, the church board does in absence of a pastor, they jump into this role now of seeking the next pastor. The way that works is you've been going through, you're, you're aware of it, they, they contact the district superintendent, he comes out, brings a few resumes, promises the interim pastor, it'll be three or four months, we'll have a new pastor, and, and puts an interim pastor in place to, to preach during the, the interim. Then what happens is the board, in, in conjunction with the district superintendent, begin to look through those resumes and, and say, as all of this, as we prayerfully have considered this, we're going to we'd like you to, to bring this person in for an interview. Now, here's where the problem is. They vote. Hang with me. They vote on that. This is where we have the confusion. Then, after that, the person comes in, the interview, they vote to recommend the name to the congregation. The person comes and greets the congregation, as Pastor Chris did, and then you vote. I want to applaud you guys for a moment. I, I think you all know at this point it was a 100% unanimous vote for Pastor Chris. You, you don't understand how rare that is. As a matter of fact, I think this is the only time I've ever heard of it in, in my 30 years. That is rare that a whole congregation, you need to be applauded for that, that, that a whole congregation votes unanimously to call a particular pastor. But you voted. Now, if you think about that, when we vote in the church, it's different than when we vote in the election process. When we vote in the election process, we're saying yes or no, we want this candidate or that candidate. When we vote in the church, and here's the difference, we are informing the process of God's call of that pastor. But the pastor is never called by the congregation. The pastor is always called by God. And, and I know that Pastor Chris, she went through this long process that at some point in her life, 
God began speaking to her that there's a change on the horizon, there's something new, I want you to explore it. And God began to have her send her resume out, and you were looking, and God began to put the pieces together to have that resume cross the desk of the district superintendent at the right time that you were looking for a pastor. How do I know that? I look back in the history of my life and the things that God, the steps that God took us through in our ministry. When I was in seminary, um, we felt very clearly, extremely strongly, that we were not, I mean, when we were in college, that we were not to go to seminary right away. And so we looked for a youth ministry position. I told you a little bit about that. We took that youth ministry position, and 10 months in, God said very clearly, the only time I've ever heard the voice of God in my life, it was one word, it was go. And it was in the context of praying, God, should I go to seminary now or wait? He said, go. And I'm like, okay, I can't argue with the voice of God. And I did check around, make sure nobody was around. There was not a soul around. I was in a dorm at Eastern Nazarene College uh, for a pastor's convention. I, all the other pastors were doing what they should have been doing. They were in the meetings. I was skipping out because I needed to get with God, because I needed an answer to this question. And he said, go. And we packed up after 10 months and went. And I'm like, God, do you even know what you're doing? Ten months? Why do we waste our time? Why do we waste our time and come here for ten months? But that ten-month delay, that one-year delay in going to seminary, put my life on a totally different trajectory. During those ten months, I met Joel and his family. Now, I will tell you, Joel was not as tall as he is now. He was way down here. And uh, I had the privilege of being his sister's first piano teacher. And, and, and just some amazing things happened during that 10-month period that would not have happened. We went out to seminary. We packed up and went out to seminary. And what ended up happening sequentially from there, when I was finished graduating seminary, there was a church in New Jersey that called me and said, I, the pastor said, I want you to come as my associate pastor and work with our teens. And I'm like, okay, God, you know I'm not even looking for that anymore. I'm ready to pastor a church. I'm not going to be a youth pastor. And he made it very clear, go pastor, as a, go to that church as the youth pastor while that pastor is there. That put us on the, in the right place at the right time to, to meet Cortland eventually. Michelle, Michelle at the time, and then Cortland came along eventually as I was youth, youth pastor and associate pastor at Michelle's home church in Bridgeton, New Jersey. It's interesting the connections to this church, isn't it? We went from there, five, five years later, the senior pastor left after three years. We left, um, about three and a half years he left. We left uh, the next year, moved down to Charlottesville, Virginia, to plant a church. At the time that the district superintendent got my resume and started talking to me about churches in the area. And I said, um, I said you know, I said, I, I'm not really interested. In, uh, Consider this arrogant if you want, but it was more of a confidence than an arrogance in my life. I said, I'm not really interested in those churches. I said, I could produce a better church planting a church because I started feeling God working in my life to plant a church. He said, oh, that's interesting. Now it's a whole new, whole new game because he just was ready to plant a church in the north side of Charlottesville, Virginia. At the time, I happened to be there. You see the sequence of what God was doing? We went and planted that church and um, we were there eight years, moved to Allentown, et cetera, and we're back here. There's a couple of different things in there, but I, I just, we don't have time to go into the whole story. But it was that 10-month delay and listening to God every step along the way 
that put us in the place to be at the right place at the right time for each of the ministry positions that he gave us. This church and Pastor Chris have been put together by God for this time. Now, how do I know that? Well, look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. It was he, God, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. There was a time in every pastor's life where God calls them to a life of ministry. That ministry focus may change, as it did for me. It may be pastoring, pastoring a church. It may be supporting pastors in leadership roles and things. But that there's a call of God, and there's a placement of God's timing in lives that brought her to this place. Why? To prepare God's people, you, for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. There is a timing in everything with God. But there's something that's even more important to understand about this call of the pastor. You'll see in your, in your worship folder, if you, if you don't have that, pull it out. There's a progression there that I put that's not going to come on the screen. If you look at all of history of the Christian church, you'll see that initially in the, in the early days of the, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, he called Abraham, said, I will... Your, your faithfulness to me, I will, I will bless you, and all nations on earth will come to know me through you and your faithfulness. And time and time has happened, and the nation of Israel from time to time needs specific leaders. So God calls leaders like Abraham, Moses, and you have this whole list of leaders that are appointed by God for certain times in, in history. Then there was a period of time where God began to pr present to them judges, there were a time of the judges that would come and would go around and, and speak on God's behalf to the nation. They also had kings, if you remember. They asked for a king. They pleaded with God to put a king over them like all the other nations, and God said, that's not what I want for you. And finally, God's, because of their persistence, God gave in and said, okay, you can have a king. You're going to get King Saul. Eventually, you'll get King David, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's not, not always going to be good. But God let them have what they wanted, but God still did what he wanted. He gave them judges. Nathan comes and confronts David. We've talked about that after his sin with Bathsheba. God's judge came to the people's king and said, you need to straighten out your act. You need to get right with God so you can lead these people the way they need led. God appointed judges. The period of the judges ends, and we have this, uh, this continuation of the priesthood, and, and all the time that there's a king, there's also a priest in the temple leading the people in worship and praise of God. You've got, then you have a period of time where there were prophets that God would raise up from time to time, prophets to speak and, and on his behalf to the nation of Israel. And eventually you have the New Testament, the apostles, the early church. You have, you have uh, Peter and the, the other uh, of the twelve, and, and they began to lay hands on and appoint people for service in the kingdom as God called them. And that leads a lineage all the way through from the, the leaders to the judges to the priests to the prophets to the apostles to the pastors of today. And every pastor in the church of the Nazarene has a period of time where the pastors before them come and lay hands on and ordain them for ministry. And those people had people that ordained them for ministry, so forth, all the way back to the time of the apostles, all the way back to the time of 
the beginning of creation. There is something significant about the call of God on a pastor's life. Be careful not just to see Pastor Chris as a human being, as a person who's leading the church, but see her through the eyes of someone who has called her to ministry. Now, I'll tell you, I, can, I know this. I've been around enough. I know pastors aren't perfect. She's not going to be perfect. She's going to make mistakes. She's going to say something that offends you. Overlook all of that because God has brought her here for this time, for such a time as this. I had a time in my life where, uh, when I was in seminary, part of what we had to do was do an oral presentation to, to defend our, our, our understanding before you get your master's degree. We had to go and sit for a couple hours before three professors, and they could ask us any question whatsoever on the face of this earth. And believe me, they did. I've never seen so many men come out of that meeting in tears crying. And um, I, I, my committee asked me a question that absolutely made no sense to me. And I, I asked them, and I gave them an answer. And um, they, the question they asked was, what is the difference between a DuPont scientist serving in church, uh, serving in the church as a layman and, and doing all the things and serving in ministry and a, and a pastor of that church? And I said, that's easy. That's the call of God in my life to full-time ministry. That's the only difference is God calls some to say, I want you to dedicate your life to the ministry of the church. Others, he says, I want you to serve in the church. I've created you to serve in the church, but I've also left you in the workforce. And I said, it's very simple. That's it. And they said, no, that's wrong. And I responded very politely, no, that's right. Well, I failed on one question. And I said, uh, I said let me ask you a question. What on earth are you asking for? I probably said it with that frustration. What were you asking for? We're asking for your theology of ministry. Well, if you'd asked me that question, I could have given it to you. You know, it made no sense. And I, and I went back, and I gave them the answer they wanted, and I said, but still, it's the call of God in my life. And the question I was raised was, when tough, things get tough in the ministry, what's going to keep you there? And I said, the call of God in my life. They didn't accept that. A couple years later, I'm in Bridgeton, New Jersey. We have an evangelist come to speak to the church. It happens to be the seminary professor who asked me that question. And he came and he did a revival service. The senior pastor had just left, and it was not a good circumstance in the church. And I was there, and, and we were talking, and I, I, everything within me wanted to say, hey, Doc, I've been there now. I've experienced the situation you were talking about and you were still wrong, I was right. That's what got me through. It was my answer, not yours. I wanted to, Beth caught me out of it. And, uh, and, and so, you know. But the call of God is so important. And no matter who steps in this pulpit, recognize they are called by God. All right, so understand that a pastor is called by God. Well, recognize then that God gives the vision to the pastor. This idea of vision um, is something I, I'm, I'm working with our current church and the staff on. We're developing a vision statement, and we're getting ready this fall to present it to the congregation. It's going to be an exciting time. And um, we're, we're, we're wrapping that up this Tuesday. I've got a marathon five-hour session with them this Tuesday, and they're buying me lunch. I'm excited about that. 
And, uh, but we're going to spend this time together and wrap it up, and then they're going to work on it and find, finalize it and, and get it ready to the congregation because vision is so important. Why is vision important? Because the scripture tells us in Proverbs where there's no vision, the people perish. Um, another translation says where there's no vision, the people cast, cast off restraint. If you think about it, if you, if you strongly believe in the vision of the person that's sharing the vision, the leader that's in front of you, sharing that vision, you will get behind it and follow it. But if there's no vision, what ends up happening? Everybody runs off doing their own little thing to every corner. It's the sheep in that second video. It doesn't matter. There's no vision. There's no direction. I'm just going to go do my own thing. And they run off. Some of them run off together. Some of them run different directions. Vision is extremely important to a church. And what is vision? It's God saying, for the next chapter of table life, here's the direction we need to go. Now, a lot of times people say, well, I have my idea what that means. And that's great. That, again, just like the vote, informs the process. But ultimately, biblically, I have never seen in the Bible where God gives the vision to a group of people. They confirm it, they support it, they rally behind it, but God has always given the vision of where the church is to go to the leader. Remember he spoke to Moses in a burning bush. He didn't get all the, the, the priests there. He didn't bring all the people together. He spoke to Moses. Now Moses brought in Aaron. That wasn't God's idea. Moses brought in Aaron to help speak the vision, and God got a little frustrated with Moses for that. But there will be a time when Pastor Chris will say, I've been here long enough. This is the direction I think we need to go. I've figured this out. I've, I've come to know you. I've come to know the people. Vision really is, is as simple as the intersection of the gifts and passions and abilities of the congregation the gifts and passions of the leader, the pastor, and the needs in the community. When you find where your gifts and passions and Pastor Chris's dreams and desires that God gives her and the needs in the community intersect, that's the vision. That's the sweet spot where God wants you guys to be. And God will give that to her. He may give you some ideas as you talk with her, but recognize it's not your vision, it's God's vision through the pastor. The vision always comes from God. There's a known variable there, isn't it? It, it? We can all have our own ideas. We all do, right? If I were to put a, put a topic on the table this morning and say, here's the topic, what do you think we should do? I guarantee you there would be at least as many ideas as there are people in this room right now. And then as we start talking about it, you'll get talked out of your idea, but you'll come up with another idea that nobody else had, and it'll go on forever. And, and I always talk with our church board, and I always looked at it this way. I believe God gives me the vision, that's, that's biblical, that God gives the vision to the pastor. But it's your job not to follow my vision. It's your job to help me fine-tune the board members. It's your job to help me fine-tune that vision. And I've, I've always gone into a board meeting with that, with that approach, and I've said, here's what I think God wants for the next six months or, or year of our church. Let's talk about that. Not from a right or wrong perspective, but let's talk about how to, how to do that and how to accomplish that. And you know what's happened? I've come out of some exciting board meetings. I've never had one board meeting in 30 years of ministry where people got mad and yelled and threw chairs. Not one. I know other, people can't, other pastors can't believe that. It's never once happened. Because when we work together, when God's people in the boardroom, 
work together and figure out how to do that vision, I've come out of there and said, whoa. I've, I've literally said, thank you, God, for these people in this room. I had the dream. They just made it so much better. But it ultimately comes from God through the pastor to the people. And, and so recognize Pastor Chris will have a vision and direction that God gives her. Respond to that vision. Get behind that. Get behind her and see what God can do through you guys. Well, the rest of these are going to be a little bit quicker. Um, submit to the authorities that God has placed in your life. Well, this one may not be quicker. If there's one thing this past year has taught me as a pastor is that we in the Christian church still haven't figured this out. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with pastor friends that have said, I've had people get mad at me and leave the church because we put up a sign that says we're going to follow what the CDC and the governor says, and we're going to make everybody wear a mask. I've watched people come into the church building in defiance of that and take their masks off. And I want to shake my head. I used to say that the great way of determining if somebody is sanctified or not, really sold out to God, can be found on the church softball field and how they respond to a bad call. Uh, I'm no longer, I've used that for 30 years. That, that, those of you who play softball, you know exactly what I'm talking about, you know? And, and I've, I've learned how to, how to uh, argue with the referee in a sanctified way. It, it's, it's, it's tough. I just, I looked at one, Tim was a home plate umpire and he made a call at second base and, and it was out and he messed it. He called the guy safe. And I came in, I went right to him. As soon as the inning change was happening, I went right to him and said, Tim, you really blew that call, man but I still love you. And, I, and he said to me, he said, Pastor, I know if you, if you tell me I blew it, I blew it. I'm sorry. I said, okay, we're still friends. Let's keep going. You know, and, uh, but, uh, but I used to say that. I no longer am going to say that because I, I think we have a bigger thing that, that shows that is, than what we've done with the masks. We're called as Christians to submit to the authorities that God's put in our place. That means, and I, had, I struggled with this early on, that means when our governor says something, and this is what we're going to do, and it doesn't make sense. As a Christian, I need to abide by that because that's an authority God's put in my life. Wow. Took me a long time to get there, folks. I'm just being honest. But once I did, I stopped worrying about the masks, and every chance I had legally to take it off, I took it off, as I hated those things. But once I thought about it from a perspective of how I'm to respond to the authorities, I may not like what the President of the United States says. And I'm not saying which President I'm talking about here. They're the President. We're not going to like something they say. But they're still the leader of our nation. And I have to watch what I say about them. And I have to respect the position. And I have to, as a Christ follower, continue to live in a way that honors God. And that is tough. And we haven't figured out that how to do that with our nation's leaders. And the same thing happens in our churches. I've talked to many of my colleagues that, that are brokenhearted over people that have yelled at them or left their church because they simply asked them to abide by what the government, what the government has said to wear a mask this past year breaks my heart 
because we're missing what's on the screen behind me. Hebrews 13 says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. This is now referring to pastors and leaders. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. I want to suggest to you that there will come a time when Pastor Chris says something or leads in a direction that you don't like. I've been around long enough. I've been in the church all my life as a pastor's kid and as a pastor. That will happen. And our biblical response is to what? I may not like it. I may not agree with it. I don't agree with everything my pastor says or does. But he's my pastor. And I will support him and get behind him because he is called by God and my role is to submit to his leadership. You know what the word submit means? It doesn't mean get beat over the head. The word submit literally means in the Greek, willingly coming under the authority of. That means when I submit to authority, I am choosing to come under that authority in my life. So when you get a new pastor and you say, I'm submitting to my pastor's leadership, it's not, oh, I'm backing down, I'm giving up my rights, I'm, you know, it's a horrible thing. It's I'm choosing to get underneath of her leadership and come behind her and support her and, and, and be her strongest advocate, even if I don't agree with everything that she says and does. That's what submission really is, and that's what God calls us to do, not just in the church, but outside the church, in our workplace, in other places, in our nation. We are to willingly say, as a follower of Christ, I will come under that leadership. Well, there's an interesting progression. It's also in your bulletin. It talks about Christ, who is the head of the church, the Christian church, which is comprised of a pastor and a church board and people. So if you were to look at, at the progression of leadership biblically, you would see Christ as the head, pastors called by God underneath of that, and congregations and people. And within the pastor-board relationship, I want to suggest to you that the board, board members, the pastor is not your employee, never has, never will be. You didn't hire them. God called them. Follow their leadership. Work with them to lead this church in a way that honors God, and God will bless this place. Well, here's the next one. Embrace change. I didn't say put up with change. I didn't say grumble against change. I said embrace change. The, the interesting thing, I, I'm, when, I, when I do leadership development, I'm, I'm a change agent. I, I talk to people all the time. So you have a choice. You can get happy with the change around you or you can get left behind. It, think about that in life. Our world is different. If you said, I will, not un, I will never learn Zoom this past year, under no circumstances am I going to get on a computer and talk to somebody, the world has now left you behind again. I'm telling you, Zoom is a household name, isn't it? How many of you have used the word Zoom in a conversation in the past six months? Almost every one of us. Now, let me ask you this. Before the pandemic, how many of you ever used Zoom in a conversation? All right, three or uh, four or five of us that probably did it because of our place of business or employment. But most of you have used Zoom in a conversation. Who on earth uses the word Zoom in a conversation in normal life? 
You know, when I think of Zoom, when Zoom first came out, I was an early adopter, I tried it. I'm thinking now, I'm going to date myself, Zuma, 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 Zoom. You, you, you older people, you know what I'm talking about. Young people say, what is he talking about? Go ask somebody that just chuckled and understood what I was talking about. It was a children's TV show. When we were the older, those of us who were 50 and older, maybe, were kids, Zoom was a TV show that we watched all the time. Go on YouTube and Google Zoom. All right? You don't Google on YouTube. Go on YouTube and search for Zoom and see if you can find some of the old videos. It will be very embarrassing to my generation, trust me. Uh, but Zoom was something that, it is a change that is here to stay. Zoom will eventually, if it's not already, be, be in a name in our dictionary, a word in our dictionary. I believe it's going to head that direction if it hasn't already. Embrace change. Change is not a bad thing. Change just takes us out of our comfort zone. It puts us in a new place. God works in and through change. Everything about God is about change, isn't it? Now think about it. God doesn't leave you where you are, dead in your sins. He leads you to change your direction. He changes you, gives you a new life in Christ. He doesn't leave you the way you were. He changes you into a new creation in Christ. Everything about God is about new and different. The message never changes. And you'll see here, when it comes to change, the Malachi 3.6 says, I, the Lord, do not change. I don't change my message. We never change our message, no matter what the world says. No matter what the world says, no matter what other denominations may do. We don't change our message because it's popular to change. God defines what's right and wrong. But the methods are continually changing. You know, you today are evidence of this, and some of you went through those struggles. How many of you ever were there in a church when they decided to take out pews and put in chairs? You thought the world was coming to an end, right? How many of you were there when we put up video screens? You know what that is? That's the new stained glass. Stained glass in our churches that we loved were there to tell a story. We look at them and say they're pretty. They were there to tell the story of creation and, and salvation to people that were illiterate and couldn't read. The screen behind me is a new stained glass. It tells the story every week. You see, change happens, and new pastors bring, say it with me, new pastors bring change. Embrace that, because it might just be the thing that God wants to do to lead you and this church in a new direction and a new experience of who he is. We're almost done. Set aside personal ambitions to keep the unity of the church. We all have ideas, all right? Pastors are full of ideas given to them by the congregation. Um, I, I remember sometimes I, I would get ideas written anonymously on torn off pieces of paper in my mailbox at the church. You know? uh, and they weren't always good ideas. You know? Like, you should resign and that guest speaker that, that was here Sunday should be our new pastor. And, uh, and, and you're laughing, but that really happened. And, I, and the funny thing is, I knew exactly where it came from. You know, it came from one of the three guys sitting out in the foyer that wouldn't come into the church services because they weren't right with God and wanted to tear the church apart. I knew where it came from, and I did what every pastor does with those anonymous things. I took it, threw in the trash, file 13. You know, that happens. 
But personal ambitions, your ideas should be secondary to the unity of the church. There is nothing more sacred. I've got to think about that. There are some things more sacred, but very few things are more sacred to God than the unity of his church. Do you remember in the, in the New Testament, as you read through the book of Acts, you, you saw the story where, where two people came up and they were asked individually, husband and wife, they were asked individually, uh, they said, we, we sold all of everything we have, we've given all the money to the church, and they, they were asked, um, is this all the money you received for the sale of your land and your property? Yes, yes, yes. And the Holy Spirit struck them dead because they lied. They had kept some back for themselves. Do you know what the problem was there? It wasn't that they kept some back for themselves. It was that they lied to the church. Now, some pastors, some pastors, I'm not saying it was me, but some pastors may have had the thought that if God would do some things like that again, the unity of the church might be preserved. And I say that jokingly, I, I've never picked, put a name with that thought. But I've always asked the question, why in the early days of the church did God work so hard to keep the unity? So radically to strike two people dead that lied to the church? But yet he lets some things go on that he does today. I don't have an answer to that question. But the unity of the church is sacred to God. And you and I have great ideas, but they always have to be secondary to the unity of the church. Ephesians 4.3 puts it this way, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Our role as Christians is to do everything we can to be at peace with others. So maybe, maybe your response to this message today is, there's somebody in this church that you're at odds with. And maybe your response is today. Don't wait till tomorrow, because I know what will happen. The further distance you get away from this, this suggestion, this thought, the less likely it is to happen. But maybe if God's brought somebody to your mind when I said you're at odds with somebody in this church over something, if they're here today before you leave this place, go make it right. If they're not here today, they're home listening, or call them and make it right. Because when the unity is there, the power of God is released. And there's no stopping the power of God. And I believe that the reason the church in general in America is so anemic and powerless today is because we're fighting with each other and upset with each other so much that we never get on mission for God. What could happen and I don't know that there are, but what would happen if there were some relationships here that were repaired and the unity was restored to the church and the new pastor comes in and we get behind that person? What could God do with this place? I have a statement here. It's, it's a strong statement. I want to read it twice. Your idea or way of doing things is never as important as the unity of the church. I live that in my church, because I sit in the chairs where you do on Sundays. I'm underneath the authority of another pastor. I'm older than him. 
I've been in ministry longer than him. I was ordained before him. But he is my leader. He is my pastor. And I encouraged him this morning with some words that I'm going to share with you as a blessing today. Make every effort to keep the unity of the peace. There is nothing that you and I will ever think of that is more important than the unity of the church. Let me repeat that statement. Your idea or way of doing things is never as important as the unity of the church. If you keep that in the back of your mind, it will be amazing what God can do. All right, here's the last one. Always make decisions based upon principles and values and not emotion or feeling. How many times do we get caught up in the emotion of the moment? You know, how many of you were there when pews were taken out of churches and put in, chairs were put in? How many of you would say that was a non-emotional time? <laughs> it was a battle, wasn't it? It was a battle because this is the way it's always been. I am comfortable on this pew, this hard piece of furniture, and don't you dare put a cushy chair under me. And we got tied up with emotions and feelings more than principles or values. What was the principle? We want to have the flexibility to do whatever God wants to do in the church. We want to be able, when we have a baptism, to not have to not do it because of a pew. We want to be able to take out a few of these chairs to make a way around the baptistry that sits in the center of the aisle so that we can baptize people and celebrate God's change in their life. You see, if you stick with principles and values as found in God's word, and set your emotions aside as secondary, a lot of what we argue about in churches goes away, doesn't it? Actually, probably about 99% of it goes away. Don't rely on your feelings. They will be powerful, and they can lead you the wrong way. Listen to your principles and values as found in God's word, and it'll never lead you astray. Well, Luke 19.10 says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's what Jesus said about himself. That's a quote of Jesus. Jesus came on value, on principle, on purpose. He said, my role here is to seek and save the lost. My purpose for being on this planet as God in human form is to seek and save the lost. And I know that's going to include the cross. Emotionally, as a human, I am not going to want to go through that. I am not going to want to participate in that. I'm going to fight with that and, and argue with God about that. Well, not argue. But I am going to question that in the garden before I face it. And I'm going to settle it that I will choose to fulfill my purpose over how I feel. And we celebrate the table, what this church is named after. We celebrate the table because Jesus chose to live by value, not by feeling. So what do we do with this today? What do we do with this? This is a lot. This is heavy, isn't it? We've talked about some heavy things here. I pulled back the curtain a little bit to let you see the type of things that a pastor dreams about in a church a church that's united, that works together, that embraces change, that's willing to do whatever God asks of them. That's the church that can change America. It's the church that we need again in our country. 
we have to ask the question, now what? What do we do? Well, maybe we get a clue from John 13, 17. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Or Ephesians 5, 15. Live life with a due sense of responsibility, not as those who do not know the meaning of life, but as those who do. Or maybe Philippians 3.16 from the message. Now that we're on the right track, let's stay on it. What do we do now? Simply live what you know. Be the blessing to Pastor Chris. Pray for her. Get behind her and support her. And even when you don't like the idea or disagree with her, be her best cheerleader. Be her best parishioner, whatever you want to call it. Be her best support. God will give her a vision. And as you rally behind her and follow that vision with her and partner with her in that, you're partnering with God. There'll be some amazing things that can happen with a church that truly is the church that every pastor dreams about.